Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. I was 10 messages into a series on the Holy Spirit, and that was back on September 4th. That was September 4th, I think. I delivered the 10th message in this series. And then uh, we had a couple of other messages. I had just a couple other things on my heart that I decided to, to take a detour from. And then a, a kind of last minute decided to get out of town, uh, take uh, Beth and a couple other ladies down to Tulsa and just kind of chill down there and play chauffeur for a while. Great visit, by the way. And... Uh, and, of course, we had the, the Jacintos fill the pulpit last week. So now here we are a month later. Here we are in October, man, and ready to continue with this study. I don't know uh, if we go maybe one more next week, and then we'll see. Um, but I did want to absolutely kind of finish what I started to talk about back on the 4th of September about 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Because... As you know, if you've been here for the bulk of this series, this has not been a specific study on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, or the uh, charismatic manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It's been a study on the Holy Spirit, the, uh, the third member of the Trinity, the part of the Godhead. We spent a lot of time looking at his personality and the other things he does. In fact, uh, for the longest time I was saying, I was kind of listing off the topics that we covered but we finally did, a uh, couple weeks before that, or a week before September 4th, started talking about the gifts of the Spirit specifically. We, talked, we went through the list as it appears in chapter 12. And then on the 4th, got on to get into what I was kind of building up to, which is chapter 14. And this is where Paul specifically addresses tongues and issues some correction concerning how it was manifesting in the church at Corinth. And listen, if you've missed any of these messages, I really want to encourage you, and not because I'm patting myself on the back saying, these are such great messages you've got to hear. It's just that I have crafted these messages. I believe I've been led by God to craft these messages as I have with an aim toward answering questions and removing roadblocks and getting some things out of your way that might be causing you to uh, not be experiencing the fullness of God as, a, as, as you should be, as you've been called to be, as God has made it available to you. He's made salvation available to you. He's made the fullness of the Spirit available to you. And uh, we live in a time where there has, well, there's always been pushback against that. Um, and uh, if you've, again, if you've experienced uh, doctrinal roadblocks, some, some specific issues. It's like, well, it's not that I don't want the fullness of God. It's just some of this stuff has always seemed weird. I was raised in a, maybe you were raised in a, a church environment where they spoke against the gifts of the Spirit. Not all, but many of the things I've talked about, again, have been aimed at removing those difficulties. So check these messages out, but especially listen to that first message on 1 Corinthians 14, because that's when Paul addresses so much of the confusion that persists, that persists today about the topic of tongues. As we observed, much of the pushback that has come, well, much of the pushback that we've seen uh, has come simply from 
the idea that in chapter 12, it's made fairly clear that not all speak in tongues. And for those who don't want to speak in tongues, that's pretty handy. It lets them off the hook. Well, it's not that I don't believe in tongues, but it says right there in chapter 12 that not all speak in tongues, and I'm one of them that doesn't. And it causes some head scratching when churches like ours encourage everyone to speak in tongues, which we do, which I do. But as we read in chapter 14 uh, a few weeks ago, that clears so much of that stuff up because in chapter 14, this is still review, uh, we see a clear delineation between the gift of tongues as in a public utterance of tongues. We see a delineation between that and praying in tongues. Praying in tongues is what Paul is talking about when he says, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all, or I wish that you all spoke in tongues. He's talking about praying in tongues. Uh, His whole message along that line is that not everything that benefits you in your prayer closet is the best thing for the assembly. When it comes to the assembly, I'd rather speak uh, 10 words in a language I could be understood than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay, but again, don't let, don't, it's, it's fairly simple, but a lot of people over the years have missed that. When it says not all, do all speak in tongues? Well, the answer is no. He's talking about should everybody in the assembly bring a public utterance of tongues? No, no, but you all can and should pray in tongues. This is I wish that you, I would that you all spoke with tongues. I'm glad I do it more than you. Why? Because it edifies me, and I'm giving thanks well. That's all in 14. Anyway, let me just take a good drink of this. It's like I'm trying to sneak a drink of this in front of you, but you all see me drinking it anyway. Just a minute. Okay. So today, what I want to look at is a passage that I uh, briefly referenced in that last message on the Holy Spirit. But I have wrestled with this passage, and maybe you have too. Um, Before I say anything else about it, let's read it together. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we will begin in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes. But an understanding be mature. That's a simple one. He's just saying, look, you don't need to be an expert on all the evils and malicious things out there. It's good that you just be innocent, even naive. That's okay. But when it comes to understanding, don't be a baby. You need to grow. You need to understand things. Verse 21, in the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are, are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, this whole passage would be clearer without verse 22. 
Verse 22 says tongues are, are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers, and then turns around and looks like he makes the exact opposite case. Doesn't it look like that to you? See, tongues are a sign to the unbeliever. Therefore, when the unbeliever comes in and hears you talking in tongues, he's going to say you're out of your mind. Well, then how is it a sign to the unbeliever? Well, first, let's look at what comes right before that. Paul quotes from the 28th chapter of Isaiah when he talks about this with people of uh, other tongues and other lips. I'll speak to this people, uh, and yet for all that, they won't hear me. This is the same passage uh, where we read this famous part about where it says, a precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And over the years, we have used that, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, as a model for how teaching should be done. You don't just throw stuff out there random. You build on line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's not what that passage in Isaiah is saying at all. If you read it in context, what he's talking about is, He's speaking to Israel, the people of Israel, who have zero hunger for the things of God. They are in a relatively prosperous state. They're doing their work. They know that they are covenant people, but they have turned over all the spiritual aspect of their lives to the priesthood. We'll let the priesthood cover this stuff for us. And the priesthood, they're a bunch of drunks. They're living off the... the, uh, whatever offerings the people are giving them, and they're just doing the bare minimum. They are spoon-feeding them. Precept here, a line there, here a little, there a little. Just enough to say they're doing their job, and the people don't care. So God, through Isaiah, is condemning the priesthood and the people. The priesthood are blowing it, and the people, you're blowing it because you're trusting a bunch of drunken priests to cover you as far as your spiritual duties are concerned. You don't have a hunger for me. You don't have any sense of need of me. So, since I love you, and since you are ultimately going to be doomed if you don't cry out to me and hunger for me and, and, and enjoy my fullness, I'm going to bring something into your life that is going to cause you to turn to me. And what it's going to be is a foreign people who when they speak to you, they, you won't understand them. New language, new people, an invading army. And yet, it is their orders and their speech ultimately, even though you don't understand what they're saying, that's going to cause you to turn to me. Now, what does this have to do with what Paul is saying? Paul's saying, first of all, isn't it interesting that when he, said, he, he specifies there's the unbeliever and the uninformed. People have come in here who, when it comes to tongues, they are unbelievers. When it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, they're unbelievers. But they believe in Jesus, they're just uninformed when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. And so he kind of puts these in the same category. He says, oh, tongues, therefore, tongues is a sign to the unbeliever. I would read it this way. I think this is a safe way to read it. In that case, tongues is a sign to the unbeliever. Try this out. If an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes into your congregation and you are all speaking in tongues at once, you are saying something. They are getting a sign from you, but it's not a good sign. Just like the sign, just like what Paul's referring to here, what Isaiah said, I'm going to speak to this people. Yay! God's going to speak to us 
through lips, stammering lips of a foreign army. Oh, he's speaking to us, but it's not what we want to hear. It's not good news. It's a sign to the unbeliever, but it's not necessarily the sign you want the unbeliever to get. On the other hand, if that same unbeliever or uninformed believer comes in, and the gift that is in manifestation is not tongues, but prophecy, the secrets of his hearts are revealed. He's speaking to me. Every, almost every one of you have experienced that. When you walked into this church, some other church, some meeting, maybe early in your experience, I knew God was real in that place because something was touching my heart that nobody else had a way of knowing about. He'll know that God is in this place. So, uh, again, the message is not that the public utterance of tongues is bad or useless, but if it is the only gift in manifestation, all we do is alienate the unbeliever or the uninformed person. Now, I will say this, another way tongues can be assigned to the unbeliever, and this isn't, I don't think, Paul's, what Paul is necessarily saying. Well, he's clearly not saying this primarily, but this is just from experience. Another way tongues can be assigned to an unbeliever is when somebody speaks in tongues and there is somebody in uh, the assembly who, not by the gift of interpretation, but by education or background, recognizes that language. This has happened here a number of times. Somebody will get up, deliver a word in tongues, then comes the interpretation, and then somebody else who speaks that language comes up and says, I didn't know you spoke any Russian. That happened in the Russian language once. Happened recently with somebody from Niger when childses were here. Uh, a girl came up and, and recognized that somebody was, was uh, praising the Lord in Hausa. And they didn't speak Hausa. So that can be, a, oh, wow, how'd you do that? I didn't know I was doing it. It's the Spirit of God. Let's read on. Because this gets uh, exciting, it gets challenging, it gets encouraging. And then some. Verse, we're still in chapter 14. We'll pick it up in verse 26. How is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Here we are again. What's your motive? If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, not all at once, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church. Let him speak to himself and to God. Not saying it's not a legitimate tongue, but if nobody's there prepared to interpret, you just take that home with you. You speak that, let that be between you and God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, this is a very, very encouraging passage. In that all have access to a word from God, a tongue, a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, etc. But not everyone is to share every time. When he says, you, everyone has this, he's not saying, and everybody should bring it forth. He's saying that these gifts and these words and these revelations, they're available to any, not just a select few. You all have a tongue, but then he specifically says, but only two or three, two, 
at the most three should deliver it. You can all prophesy, but you all shouldn't. Let two or three speak, and everybody else, you don't just sit there and go, okay, that must be God. You listen to it, and you judge it by what you know of the Word of God. Okay? You scrutinize it. Uh, and again, what's going to edify the church? Verse 30 is a little tough there. When it says, um, if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. There's a couple things, a couple principles I think you need to pull, uh, take away from that. One is, say you have a word and you're formulating it. Again, I, I want to, I, I, I know I said this a few weeks ago, probably uh, uh, back in August when I spoke, when we first started looking at the list of the gifts of the Spirit. And one is this idea that it can't be of God unless it's utterly spontaneous. I should just go up there. All God needs to say to me is go up there and grab the microphone. And I shouldn't know what's going to come out of my mouth until I start speaking. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. God can give you a word an hour before church, the night before church, days before church, give you time to meditate on it. Just because it's not spontaneous doesn't mean it's not supernatural, okay? So maybe you've got a word. Maybe you've been mulling it over. Maybe it's happening during praise and worship. You're formulating something. Then somebody gets up and gives a word, and you're like, wow, uh, that's not what God was speaking to me at all. Maybe you just don't bring yours forth right now. Same way, if you give the word, and then somebody else gets up one that may, and, and brings forth a word that either goes a different direction, hopefully doesn't contradict, but it says, then let the first keep silent, meaning you don't get back up and say, well, let me clarify this then, because then it turns into what? Competing prophecies. And we've already talked about competing tongues. This isn't about you looking godly. This isn't about you looking spiritual. It's like, I think what I have is good, but I think if you just, this is maturity. I think if I brought it forth right now, it might be a little more confusing than it is edifying. So I'll hold on to it. And then the question pops up, but if it's a word from God, how can I do that? This isn't me. This is the spirit. To hold this in would be sin. Paul answers it right there in the text, doesn't he? Spirit of prophecy, which is really a better rendering of that. The spirit of prophecy is subject to the prophet. Meaning God gives you a word, and it's glorious because he trusts us. You can, you can prefer one another. I gave you that word. You're not sinning if you don't shout it out right now. Prefer this guy. He went first. That's right. Save it for next week. Save it for your family. Save it for a small group. Not everything needs to come out all at once. You, we need to be in a flow with the Spirit where we recognize what is God saying, not just to me right now, but to us. There was a, I think I've shared this story before. We had a, a speaker at camp. This is many years ago. And uh, my job... Uh, kind of by default, uh, I had a number, wore a number of hats as an assistant director, and one of them was to be the meanie. I was the discipline, the guy who was in charge of camp discipline. But also, uh, to, uh, it was my job to shut the meeting down every night. Well, we had a speaker, uh, it was his first time speaking, and he began, uh, as he ministered, it turned into a what we would call a Holy Ghost service. Not where it was a bunch of wild running around, but where these students were down on their faces, praying, crying out to God. And the band, is, it was just, it was sweet. 
But this, it was something God was clearly doing, but this guy had never had it happen in one of his meetings. He wasn't orchestrating it at all. He was just kind of being swept up in it, and it was beautiful, but he didn't know how to shut it down. It's like, next thing you know, it's 11, 11.30 at night. Uh, and it's like, what are we doing here? You know? And so finally, and I'm looking up, and I see uh, the camp director, the, the, the top guy, look at me and says, he waves me over, he says, you've got to shut this down. I've got to shut the Holy Spirit down? I know I'm going to look like the bad guy to a lot of people. So I just got up there, and as gently as I could, I said, hey, isn't this wonderful what God has been doing in our midst? Why don't you quietly get back to your seats, and, uh, and we'll just continue to... Uh, uh, we'll close this meeting out. We want to get you guys out of here. Snack bar is going to be open for half an hour, 45 minutes, and we want you to head down to your bunks. We'll extend lights out for another hour because this was a late meeting. It wasn't God's presence sweet. And everybody was like, yeah, 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 cool. And, and it, no incident. Nobody seemed to get their nose out of joint. But there were probably, there was a group of 10 or 15. I don't know if they were from a particular church. But uh, a few counselors and a few students lingered in the sanctuary, and when it came time for lights out, they were still in there holding hands, praying, and uh, somebody, I think the camp director again said, hey, you got to go get that group out of there. They, they, everybody has, it, it's time for lights out. Everybody needs to go to the dorms. And there was these young guys with me. It was there, uh, some young counselors from Alabama. I even remember their names. They're like, what are you going to do? How are you going to go in there and break this up? If God is in there speaking something to them, and I'm like, I'm not sure. You know, I'm, 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 hopefully, I don't have to get mean. So I went in there, just walked up, and I said, hey, guys, it's time to go to bed. We can't stop. God is just doing things. Right now, he's speaking to us. And I said, you know what? The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophets. Go to bed. And they did. But it didn't. Now, in that, in that case... I didn't go in there with a plan to say that. I think that that's, God just kind of dropped that in me. But it was like, oh yeah, see, you know what? It's like, you're not going to offend God. God's not going to strike you with lightning because it's time. God knows what the camp rules are. And these are for everybody. You still need sleep. We still have camp tomorrow. So anyway, it's, this isn't, this, this is a notion that's uh, difficult, I think, for those of us who've been steeped in charismania that, uh, that if it's not wild and chaotic, then it's not supernatural. Unfortunately, that gives our, uh, the naysayers, those who, the, the hardline cessationists say, see, that's what's wrong with that. They just, they go crazy. There's chaos. There's lack of order. There's lack of, of control. That's not what characterizes the supernatural, right? And this, you know, here's Paul. I mean, he's given numbers. You want to speak in tongues? Great. Two of you do it. All right, maybe three, at the most three. Prophecy, it's great. It's superior in the meeting to tongues. Two, maybe three. Everybody else, shut up. You can, you can scrutinize it. You can talk. You can, you can judge it. All right, now. Ah. Same thing, by the way. When we talk about the spirit of prophecy sub, uh, subject to the prophets, uh, it's the same thing with speaking in tongues. Well, I'm not speak. God hasn't made me speak in tongues yet. And you say, well, you got to do it. Well, if I'm doing it, how is it the Holy Spirit? 
I heard one great pastor, what was this guy's name? Larry Millis. Larry Millis used to say that people would say, well, you can't just switch the Holy Spirit on and off like a light switch. And his answer was, no, the Holy Spirit is always on. You turn yourself off and on like a light switch. All right? Here's the thing. In, when, when we're talking about encouraging somebody to begin speaking in tongues, what are we telling them? Flip that switch on. And do it again later today. Do it again tomorrow. Get in the habit of flipping that switch and speaking in tongues. What Paul's talking about is there's a time to shut that switch off. And you're not shutting God off. You're shutting yourself off. Just your mouth. Just the mouth switch. You're not cutting off your, the power connection to God. All right? Seriously, all right? Okay. Don't say amen. Say right on. Right on. Okay. And why is this? Again, this is in the, uh, uh, almost always said in the, the, the yeah. why, why do we shut it off? Why do we shut it off? To avoid confusion and to promote peace. It's right, right there in that passage. Quickly, to the rest of this. Verse 34. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Nothing we need to say about that. That's all clear. We can move on, right? This is understandably a sensitive and potentially uh, divisive topic. And Paul addresses it elsewhere in his epistles. For this passage, though, ultra important to look at the context. What is he talking about? What is his whole thrust, especially in this chapter? We don't want to give in to confusion. We want this to be edifying to everybody. As we'll see, there needs to be order to this. If somebody else is speaking in tongues, you keep silent till they're done and an interpretation comes. There is a time and a place for everything. I think in this case, I'm dodging this bullet, I agree. We will talk about the broader issue of uh, women in leadership and teaching and stuff like that. I will get to that right after my verse-by-verse -verse commentary on Revelation. <laughs> Meanwhile, in this context, you need to, and most of you know this, in the early church and in, in, in the assembly, the women sat in one section, the men sat in another section. They didn't sit as families. And Again, what, what Paul is talking about is just like, it, it doesn't come right out and say something like competing tongues in here, but we can easily read it. And he's saying, let the women keep silent. If they want to learn something, let them ask their husbands at home. He's not saying you're too stupid to get it at church. He's saying, if something comes up in the service that you have a question about, don't start talking about it in the middle of the service. You're interrupting. You're becoming a distraction. If something does cause you to scratch your head and ask a question, wait until the service is over. Talk it over with your husband. Say, what did you, and then maybe, and then maybe it's, oh, well, that way maybe we can have a discussion uh, uh, with, with others about it. But you don't start gabbing about it in the middle of service. You don't stand up and shout the preacher down, I think you're wrong about that. Or, hey, wait a second, you skipped this verse. I wouldn't want you doing that to me. Now, why does he specifically point out women about this? I don't know. Uh, other than maybe they just had the, Again, he's addressing a specific congregation at a specific time. And in this case, the women apparently 
uh, had a reputation for being a little bit uh, distracting. What are we avoiding? Interruptions and confusion. Uh, verse 36, or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. You know, there are times when Paul writes, he says, I have no command from the Lord on this. This is me, Paul. Here he's saying just the opposite. These things I'm writing, this ain't me. These are commands from the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. A better way of rendering that probably is if somebody wants to ignore the things I'm saying, you just ignore them. Therefore, brethren, listen to this. Highlight this in your Bible if you haven't. If you don't have a Bible you can highlight, get a Bible you can highlight. Therefore, brethren, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. I'm going to make one really quick point and we'll be done. Every time we read this, let all things be done decently in order. The focus is always on orderliness, self-control, uh, and, and as it should be. Again, I think we can lean so hard that way. And again, the cessationists even use this. Well, this is why we don't do charismatic stuff at all, because there's no way to do it decently in order. Once the chaos of charismania invades a church, all decency, all order are out the window. So it's like you can either have the gifts or you can have decency and order. But here's the command I see. Let all things be done. Not just the things that happen, let them be done decently in order. Let, by all means, let all things be done decently in order. But let all things be done. Don't ignore the gifts. Let tongues be done. Let prophecy be done. Let revelation, let testimonies, let psalms be done. We've got to be free. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to use us in these ways. But it's not just every person for himself. What does decently in order look like? It doesn't, it doesn't look like 20 people lined up to give a tongue. It certainly doesn't look like three people standing up at once to give a prophecy. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly how to do this, but this is one of the things I like. Uh, one of the concrete things that we can look at when somebody has a word. You know, again, we've had people come in. Not sinful. They're not disruptive. They just don't know any better. But when we, if you have a word in this class, if you feel, or this class in this church, if somebody, if you feel that God has, has given you something to share, the proper procedure is to come to me, maybe Pastor Mike, and say, I think I have a word. And then we will tell you to wait there till we reach the appropriate moment in the service. And the appropriate moment, as you know, is usually between the third and fourth song. No, it didn't. Uh, Lisa missed it today. She went up after the fourth song. No. Uh, but, but then we'll, we'll guide you to the microphone. That's the time to share. Rather than shouting it out from your seats, because uh, that, that can, be, it can startle people. It's, I've, I've seen it happen. I don't see it ruin the service. It's just this is the way we interpret decently and in order at Living Word Family Church. It's not the law. It's not sin. It's just this is a way we found an easy way to maintain order. But again, I think there needs to be just as much stress. Praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. There needs to be just as much 
uh, stress laid on the first half of that, which is let all things be done. Stand up with me. We want the gifts of the Spirit to be operating in this church. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that we focused on earnestly desire the best gifts. Most of you are in this church because you want to be in a church where the gifts are in operation. If you didn't want to be in a church where the gifts are in operation, you'd probably have found a different church by now. But are you also not just eager to be in a church where this happens? Are you eager to be used in the operation of these gifts? Earnestly desire the best gifts. Well, I don't care how spiritual I look. This ain't about you. What are the gifts for? Mutual edification and encouragement. Don't hold that back from somebody else. God does want to use you to edify other people. It's wonderful to be a part of God's family, the body of Christ, the church. We cannot afford to be like Israel in the day of Isaiah when we are satisfied with whatever crumbs someone else feeds us. You need to cultivate a hunger for knowing God. Cultivate a hunger for walking in the fullness of the new covenant. And part of that is cultivating a hunger to minister to others, edify the church. Now, almost everything I've said this morning, just as Paul's letter was, was directed at the church, at the believer. This was not what you would call an evangelistic message. But I never want to close out a service without at least offering the opportunity to anyone who does not know Christ, who has never been saved, never been born again, never confessed Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, without giving you the opportunity to do that. This wonderful God and the gifts that he gives us, and the way he desires to use us to minister to one another, has made all of this available only through the cross of Christ. You can't just decide, no, that looks like fun. I think I'll start speaking in tongues and prophesying and joining and hanging out with those people. There's only one way into that relationship, and that is through the sacrifice that only God could make through his son, Jesus Christ on the cross. We are all broken. Some of us are more manifestly broken. We are all sinners, and some of us are more manifestly sinners. And I'm talking about when we are born. It's, 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 it's who we are by our identity. But God has made us a way for us to be reborn. And we are reborn. We've got to stop calling ourselves old broken sinners because we're not anymore. We're saints. We're children of God. We're holy. And because of that, we have access to the throne. Is there need in your life? Is there a lack in your life? Uh, you can go boldly before the throne. Receive grace for help in those times. 
if you're a believer. What does it mean to be a believer? Someone who says with their mouth, confesses consciously, individually, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sin and I believe that God raised him from the dead and I'm turning my life over to him. If you've never made that confession and would like to, I want to pray with you before we leave. If you said, uh, I made that confession, um, but maybe I'm in that category of I haven't really hungered for the fullness of God. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? That's where this whole series started was on the day of Pentecost when you had 120 believers gathered in one room, saved individuals who got baptized in the Holy Spirit. What happened when that happened at that moment? Well, yeah, they began to speak in other tongues. But what Jesus said was going to happen when the Holy Spirit came on them is they would receive power to be his witnesses. I believe one of the tools he gives us right off the bat, one of the faculties he endows us with is the precious ability to pray in tongues. And it was the first thing they manifested. They weren't preaching in tongues. They were praising God in tongues. But if you would like to receive that power, like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to pray with you too. So I'm going to pray, and when I'm done praying, if you desire to give your heart to Christ, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, come up here while they sing this song. Heavenly Father, thank you for everything you've shown us in your word today. Thank you for the gifts. Thank you for one another. And uh, it's our prayer, Lord, that you would manifest your power and your gifts in our midst more and more in this day as we need this edification. We need this encouragement. need to hear from you. Father, it's my prayer now, and I think it's the the prayer of every believer in in the sound of my voice, that if there is anyone in here who does not know you as Father, has not come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, that you would do what only you could do by your Holy Spirit. Convince them, convict them, draw them to yourself, and make them know and recognize their need. And now, Lord, to grant them the humility, the wisdom, and the boldness to come and receive that precious gift of salvation today. Now is the accepted time. Father, I pray if there's any believer in here who is struggling because of a lack of power in their lives, that they would recognize how abundant you have made that power, how, how greatly and how uh, extravagantly you make that power available through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and cause them to desire uh, and come and receive that gift today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and let me pray with you if you desire to do any, make either one of those decisions. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.